Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. I'm excited about starting this study with you. So excited to dive into the book of Daniel with you. Once again, my notes are available in the YouVersion Bible app. If you click that link for the notes, you'll see all the scripture references for tonight, as well as the takeaway and application so you can apply it to your life, as well as sometimes during this book that we'll do devotionals, additional devotionals that will help you dive deeper into the topics we are covering. And we have one that I'm recommending for you to start tomorrow. Read along with me inside the YouVersion Bible app. We'll have the link, of course, in our Faith Plus app as well. And so make sure that you download these notes, save the notes to your device, and reflect on these notes. And when we did the book of Judges, we have reflection questions. In this study, we have different takeaways and applications so you can put it into practice and so that you can make a difference in your life just like Daniel did. So go with me to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. And as always, when we're done with this message, this message will be available on our YouTube channel, our Faith Plus app, as well as on our Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you can listen again and share with others. Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's the land of Babylon, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure of the house of his God. Now, this is referring to something that not just we see in history, but also in the Bible as well. And this is Bible study night because we're diving deep into the book of Daniel. If we're going to understand what happens in the book of Daniel, we need to dive into what these first two verses told us. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, besieges Jerusalem, conquers Jerusalem, and begins to take people from Jerusalem and from Judah and takes them back to Babylon. And it says very interesting in verse 2, and the Lord gave the king of Judah into his hand, as well as articles from the house of God. So let's understand why these things happen. Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 24. 2 Kings chapter 24. Another reason why I recommend you get my notes, because one of the things I'm doing in this Bible study to kind of help you dive deeper, I'll reread from the New King James, the King James, the New Living Translation, also the Amplified Classic Edition, to help you understand all the things that are going on. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 1. During Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded the land of Judah. Jehoiakim surrendered and paid him tribute for three years, but then rebelled. Then the Lord sent bands of Babylonian, Armenian, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders. A lot of these were from the armies of Nebuchadnezzar. He had a diverse army against Judah to destroy it, just as the Lord had promised through his prophets. These disasters happened to Judah because of the Lord's command. He had decided to banish Judah from his presence because of the many sins of Manasseh who had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. The Lord would not pardon this or forgive this. So now this, this four verses said a lot. It said that Nebuchadnezzar had invaded and took over and exported and all the things we see in these verse four and these four verses because of what happened in King Manasseh's reign. Well, if we want to understand that, we need to back up a few chapters and understand what was so horrible that King Manasseh did that God said, I will banish you 
from this land. So let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Notice what it says here. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So his reign wasn't a short reign, it's a long reign. His mother was Hesibah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. So Hezekiah was a great king, is a righteous king. He tore down the false idols. He tore down their altars. He was turning Israel, excuse me, Judah, because about this point to clarify, because in this time God refers to Judah and Israel as the same person. But Israel, what we know as the northern kingdom or kingdom of Samaria, has already been wiped away. The Syrians invaded and took them away, so the northern kingdom doesn't exist anymore. So when you're studying this time, it's from the southern kingdom. Sometimes God calls it Israel. Sometimes it calls it Judah. But this is the only kingdom left. And Judah at this time, remember, you have Judah. You have some of the Levites. You have some of the other tribes who came to Judah during the times of after Rehoboam and Jeroboam when they migrated to Judah. So these are the people of God who remain in the land. And so notice it says he rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He constructed altars for Baal and set up an Asherah pole. We talked about Baal and Asherah in our studies of the book of Judges, especially the first three parts of that study, just as King Ahab of Israel had done. Now, notice who the scriptures are connected to Manasseh to. Ahab and Jezebel, one of the worst king and queen couples in Israeli history. Now, this is, they were in the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom. And so notice how deep and atrocious Manasseh's reign was when they say he did it just like King Ahab. And we know what the prophet said about Ahab and the judgment that fell upon Ahab and Jezebel's family as a result. It says he also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshiped them. And so remember when we talked about the book of Judges that there was a chief Baal god that they worship, but there's also a pantheon of gods, just like you saw in you know Greek uh, religions and Roman religions. And so they still had a version of this in the Middle East. And so not only is he worshiping Baal and Asherah, he's worshiping the whole pantheon of gods. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. So insult to injury, he sets up pagan altars in the temple of God. Remember the temple of God that Solomon built, that the temple that was filled with the glory cloud. Instead of the glory cloud, because the glory cloud departed, and you see that in the book of Ezekiel, instead of a temple dedicating to worshiping and serving God, he puts pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord has said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens and both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire. The King James says he made him pass through the fire. This is part of the worship of the God Molech that God talked about in the law and Joshua and Judges, how much he hated this detestable practice. And we'll share, well, I'll just share with you now because it says in Leviticus 18, 21, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11 says, there should not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. Jeremiah talking about these sins of Manasseh and what Israel did at this time and following says chapter 32, verse 31, for this city has been a provocation 
of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction, but they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Notice what Ezekiel said about it. Then you took your sons and daughters, the children you had born to me, and sacrificed them to your gods. Was your prostitution not enough? Was you worshiping other gods not enough? Must you also slaughter my children by sacrificing them to idols? All of these things were abominable before God. All things were horrible. But the worst thing was that you took the kids that I gave you. Because remember, it says children are a blessing from the Lord. Remember, it talks about children are arrows that be shot out to fulfill the purpose of God. God's blessing in his inheritance, giving his people children. He says, you took the children I gave you, the children you bore to me, and you sacrificed them to false gods. You sacrificed them to demons. Let that sink in as we go back to 2 Kings 21. So Manasseh also sacrificed his own son in the fire, a prince, one who would feature, could possibly lead Judah one day. Instead of raising him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, he sacrificed him, a burnt sacrifice to the demon god Molech. It says he practiced sorcery and divination and consulted with mediums and psychics. So instead of seeking God, inquiring of God, instead of inquiring the priests and the prophets that God had in Jerusalem and Judah, he turned to witches and warlocks and psychics. It said he did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing his anger. Manasseh even made a carved image of Asherah and set it up in the temple, the very place where the Lord had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws my servant Moses gave them, I will not send them into exile from this land that I gave their ancestors. But the people refused to listen. So notice, it wasn't just Manasseh, it was the people also. They refused to listen, and Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. So not only were they doing as bad as we talk about in the book of Judges, they're doing even worse than the people who were kicked out of the land from beforehand. Verse 10, then the Lord said through his servants, the prophets, now, what are the prophets? We know Isaiah confronted them. We know Jeremiah did later. We even see what Ezekiel said. We see these prophets and others as you dive in many different prophets that God sent to address it. It says, then the Lord said through his servants, the prophets, King Manasseh of Judah has done many detestable things. He is even more wicked than the Amorites who lived in this land before Israel. He has caused the people of Judah to sin with his idols. So this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I'll bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear about it will tingle with horror. 
I will judge Jerusalem by the same standard I use for Samaria, that's the northern kingdom of Israel, and the same measure I use for the family of Ahab. I will wipe away the people of Jerusalem as one wipes a dish and turns it upside down. Then I will reject even the remnant of my own people who are left, and I will hand them over as plunder for their enemies. For they have done great evil in my sight and have angered me ever since their ancestors have came out of Egypt. Manasseh also, so this is not, it's, he kept going. Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people of Judah to commit, leading them to do evil in the Lord's sight. So Manasseh is a horrible king, a horrible leader, one that God compares to Ahab, one that God compares to all the sins before. He says Judah is at a point where it's worse than the Amorites were when I caused Israel to come into the land. And remember what God said about the Amorites to Abraham, that at the time of Abraham, the iniquity of the Amorites was not full. But by the time you get to the book of Judges and Judah, when he talked about the cup of iniquity, and this is a reference to judgment, it's full. And now judgment has fallen upon the Amorites. But now Judah is at a place where they are worse than the Amorites. And God said, enough is enough. As I told them through Moses, if you do these things, if you live like the other nations, the pagan nations, and worship their gods and follow their practices and do these evils and sacrifice your children to Moloch and all these different things, I will kick you out of the land. And so that's what the prophets are saying. God will kick you out of this land. And Manasseh also shed many innocent blood. There are scholars who believe that Manasseh was the one who ordered the execution of the prophet Isaiah, who we know was cut in half. That was his execution, that prophet, that man of God, that holy man of God who wrote that giant book, who God used mightily. He is the one who ordered the execution, the murder, the martyrdom of Isaiah, as well as many innocent people. So much so that the writer of Kings says that Jerusalem was filled with the shedding of innocent blood. So from the days of Moses to the fall of Jerusalem, God had warned his people through prophets what would happen if they forsook God and follow other gods. It's not just they worship the other gods and bow down to idols. That worship of other gods and the bowing down to idols who covered in the book of Judges came with lifestyle changes where they're living evil. There are evil things that they've done and we've covered just a few of those things in our study tonight. He clearly told them that they follow the ways of the Canaanites and the Amorites, they would be removed from the land. We will cover in a later message that how when God made the threats of removal, he also coupled them with a promise of return. Manasseh's reign set into motion judgment that would not be stopped. At the end of his life, Manasseh did repent and tried to lead Judah in the right way. After he died, his son Ammon tried to further his father's sin, which was already horrific in so many different ways. He only reigned for two years until his own officials assassinated him. Judah executed his assassins and made his eight-year-old son, Josiah, king in his place. Now, Josiah is one of the greatest kings of Judah's history. Ju Josiah ruled righteously for 31 years and was one of the greatest kings of Judah. He began a project to restore the temple of God. So let's talk about Josiah, 2 Kings 22. I'm still trying to get you to Daniel, but I want you to understand the background and why it makes the book of Daniel so profound, especially the choices that Daniel made. So 2 Kings chapter 22, so verse 3, so this is part of Josiah's restoration project of the temple of the Lord. 
says, In the eighteenth year of his reign, King Josiah sent Saphan, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Meshulam, the court secretary, to the temple of the Lord. He told him, Go to Hilkiah the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people of the Lord's temple, and trust this money to the men assigned to supervise the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay the workers to repair the temple. They will need to hire carpenters, builders, and masons, also have them buy timber and the finished stone they needed to restore or repair the temple. But don't require the construction supervisor to keep account of the money they receive, for they are honest and trustworthy men. Hilkiah the high priest said to Saphon the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. So they're doing this restoration project, repairing the temple, moving things around, and they find the book of the law. So note, just let, let that sink in. They found it. So I'll let you know that people are not really reading the book of the law. They probably don't even know what's in the book of the law. And we can see here that they actually don't. And so although Josiah's doing his best to follow God and return people to the worship of God, and it's hard to repair the temple, in their restoration repair project, they found the book of the law. And so it says, so Saphon also told the king, Hekiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Saphon read it to the king. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave orders to Hekiah the priest, and Achaim, the son of Saphan, Achabor, the son of Micaiah, Saphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people for all of Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. And immediately he's thinking about his grandfather Manasseh. He's thinking about Ammon. He's thinking about the people and how they have not been living for God. And we've only read a few verses from the book of the law in talking about what would happen. You can see more of that in the book of Deuteronomy because the book of Deuteronomy is a second giving of the law. And you can see the things in Deuteronomy 28 and chapter 32, what would happen if they did these things that Judah has done. The king says, for the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We have not, we have not been doing everything it says we must do. So Hakiah the priest, Achim, Akbor, Saphan, and Isaiah went to the new court of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikvah, son of Hakas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on the city and its people. All the words written in the scroll that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I'm very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah, who sent you to seek the Lord, and tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I said against the city and its people that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on the city. So they took her message back to the king. Now, one of the things you see here is judgment has started rolling and God said it will not be stopped. But God told Josiah, because you repented, because of your prayer, because of your heart, it will be delayed. There are times where judgment cannot be stopped. It can be lessened and it can be delayed. Well, it can be lessened and delayed by the prayers of the people, by how the people act, 
especially God's people in the midst of wicked nation. They can delay judgment. They can lessen judgment. But sometimes judgment cannot be stopped because of the laws of seed, time, and harvest. And remember, this is part of their covenant, the old covenant, one of the new covenant. But on the old covenant, they agreed to these terms. That if we live this way, we'll be blessed, we'll be prosperous, we'll enjoy the best of life. But if we live the other way, we understand that we'll be defeated before all of our enemies and eventually we'll be kicked out of this land. It was the terms of their covenant. And so judgment, which is just another word for harvest. Harvest and judgment are synonymous terms. Judgment was rolling towards Judah and it would not be stopped, although it would be delayed. So Josiah righteous reign delayed the judgment. God promised him that it would not happen in his lifetime. So that meant as long as Josiah was alive and reigned, the judgment would not show up. And so if Josiah reigned as long as Manasseh, judgment wouldn't fall on his generation. But unfortunately, Josiah made an unwise battle move. He went to a battle he never had to go to. And as a result, he died in battle. And his life ended short. It ended early, which lets you know if Josiah is out of the picture, judgment's on its way. Now, Josiah was such a righteous king that Jeremiah, the prophet of God, wrote lamentations. He wrote poems and prayers and songs because Josiah had died. That's how of an amazing king he was. But also let you know that once Josiah is gone, judgment is coming. Now, what happened after Josiah died? His son, Joachim, not too long after that, is made king, and he leads Judah back into sin. sin. And that's where we get 2 Kings 24 and Daniel chapter 1. So now we're ready to dive into the book of Daniel. We understand its background. We understand the severity of the decades that led up to the book of Daniel. We understand what the prophets have said concerning what's going to happen to the land. And what we see in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is the fulfillment of those prophecies. What we see is the harvest and the judgment of the seeds of the people and the people who came before them. They sowed the seed. Now, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 is telling you of the harvest of the seeds they sowed. And so, this is the background of the book of Daniel. Daniel was born in the latter years of King Josiah. Daniel's name means, My judgment is God. Daniel was born in the latter years of King Josiah. Daniel's name means my judgment is God's. The book of Daniel is written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Daniel chapters 1 through 6 contains the stories of Daniel and his friends in Babylon. Daniel 7 through 12 is about the future. Daniel 1 is written in Hebrew. Daniel chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic. Daniel chapter 8 through 12 is written in Hebrew. The design of this book that we see with the language and the book's divisions give you insight into understanding the book. So this book is written in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic. Daniel 1 through 6 contains stories of Daniel and his friends. Daniel 7 to 12 is about the future. Daniel chapter 1 is written in Hebrew. Daniel chapters 2 through 7 is written in Aramaic. Daniel chapters 8 through 12 is written in Hebrew. This design and the divisions of the book and the language of the book helps to give you insight to understanding the book. So let's go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 3. 
and I'm pick up with the New Living Translation. The king ordered the chief of staff to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So Nebuchadnezzar sieges and attacks Jerusalem and Judah multiple times. And in his first capture, he takes some things from the Temple of Solomon, and he takes some people from Judah as captives. And the people he took were of the noble family or the royal family. So what family is that? It's the family of the descendants of David and the nobility who worked in the palace and whose parents and grandparents and family ruled the nation of Judah. And so he took these individuals back to Babylon. So notice they are exiled from their home. Imagine what it's like to be forcibly removed from the only home you've known and taken to a foreign land as prisoners of war. Let that sink in. And it wasn't like they went next door. This is a foreign land with foreign customs that they've been exiled to. Let that sink in. As you look at this map, as you see how far they were taken away from the land of Judah, from the palaces of Jerusalem to the land of Babylon. Notice the order the king gives to his chief of staff. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the four young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So from these verses, we understand that Daniel and his friends were from the royal family. They were King David's descendants. They were the nobility of the tribe of Judah. This passage also shares that they were young. Now, the question is, how young? Daniel and his three friends were approximately 15 years old. So, in our understanding, they would be sophomores in high school. These sophomores of high school were forcibly taken from their homes and taken to a new land. Verse 8, which is the key verse of this chapter. It's a verse that if you're going to have your kids memorize verses from the study, this is a verse you want them to memorize. I remember memorizing this verse when I was younger. I'm going to read it to you from three different translations. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Notice that language, defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The Amplified Classic Edition says, but Daniel determined in his heart that he would not defile himself by eating his portion of the king's rich and dainty food or by drinking the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might be allowed not to defile himself. New Living Translation. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat these unacceptable foods. Well, what made these foods unacceptable? They were against what God told them that they should eat, that they found in the book of the law. And so Daniel was so committed, and his three friends were so committed to living God's ways as teenagers, they, in this foreign land, with this foreign customs, with this foreign gods, with this foreign ways of living, 
they said, hey, can we have permission not to eat these things? Because our God said in his word that we shouldn't eat these things. Now, that you, now you understand the background of the book of Daniel. We've looked at 2 Kings. We've looked at what the prophets said. We've looked at the great evils of the reign of Manasseh and what Ammon did and what the people after him did. Notice how profound this choice is for Daniel and his three friends. That in the midst of everything, in the midst of being exiled, in the midst of the great wickedness of Judah, that God said it was as bad and worse than the Ammonites who he kicked out of the land. Out of all of this thing going on in the culture, the dark, dark culture of Judah, and then taken to an even darker culture of Babylon, these four teenagers said, we're going to serve God. We're going to stand for God. We won't even defile ourselves by eating stuff God told us not to eat. Notice Daniel and his friends purposed in their heart to serve God. This is sinking. That's going to lead to one of our takeaways at the end of this message. Notice verse 9, the Amplified Classic Edition. Now, God made Daniel to find favor, compassion, and loving kindness with the chief of the eunuchs, Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff. Psalm 512 tells us, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as a shield. So what happened with Daniel and his three friends? They were surrounded by God's favor. And that favor caused, brought, and God gave them favor and brought them into favor with the decision maker. So going back to Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 10 as we begin to close. But he responded, I am afraid of my Lord the King, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. These vegetables, or pulses, as it says in the King James, also included rice, peas, beans, and etc. So they found foods of the vegetable and grain variety that fit with what God told them that they should eat in the first place. And God gave them favor. And what happened when they were doing what God said, they looked better than the rest of the people who were doing whatever they wanted. Notice verse 17 as we close. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period, three-year period, ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable, or ten times better, or ten times smarter than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in royal service until the first year of King Cyrus. That's longevity we'll talk about later as in the study why that matters. So, so many wonderful things we see in Daniel chapter 1 as we cover the history and the background leading to the beginning of Daniel and his three friends serving in royal service at the age of 18. And so notice that when the king will come to these 18-year-olds and come to these when they got into their early 20s, we'll see that in the following chapters, he found them 10 times smarter, 10 times more capable than all 
of his advisors and magicians and people in his realm that he would consult. So what are the takeaways and applications from tonight's study? Number one, the laws of seed time and harvest still affect nations today. Sin produces death and judgment even on a national scale. Although we're under a new covenant, I want you to understand there's still cycles of judgment in the earth. And if you're living for God, remember you are the redeemed. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. And you can live the ways of faith we find in the New Testament. And even in the midst of judgment, you can still have Goshen. But you still need to understand that the laws of seed, time, and harvest still affect nations today. Sin produces death and judgment, even on a national scale. Number two, you have the purpose in your heart to live the way God tells you to live. If you do not make the quality decision, and a quality decision is backed up by several daily decisions, you will go the way of the Babylonian culture. So you have to purpose in your heart to live the way God tells you to live. If you don't, if you don't make the quality decision, if you don't anchor yourself in the word of God, you will go the way of the culture, specifically the Babylonian culture. One of the things we'll see in the series and we've seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well as Babylon is a type of the world, just like Egypt is a type of the world. And so you'll go, away with, the, you'll go with the world's ways, the world's cultures, if you don't make a daily decision and purpose in your heart to live the way God tells you to live. And the only way you can do that is if you stay in the word. We saw how the king of Judah and the priests, they found the book of the law. You shouldn't be in a place where you just, oh, I just found a scripture. You have to read this thing every day. You have to study this thing every day. You have to listen to these podcasts like this every day. You have to stay in the word and do what Paul says. You have to renew your mind or renovate your mind with the word of God. Number three, God can and will give you favor with decisions makers and those in authority. God can and will give you favor with decision makers and those in authority. You should daily confess and claim favor over your life. It is available for you. I'll say that again. You should daily confess and claim favor over your life. It is available to you. Number four, God can and will give you supernatural understanding and skill that causes you to rise to the top of your profession. God can and will give you supernatural understanding and skill that causes you to rise to the top of your profession. Because of the gift of God, Daniel and his friends were 10 times better, 10 times smarter, 10 times more capable. Daily confessing that you have the mind of Christ, praying the Ephesians 1 prayer over yourself, and acknowledging how God has anointed you will help you increase in the gifting God has given you. I'll say that again. Daily confessing that you have the mind of Christ, praying the Ephesians 1 prayer over yourself daily, and acknowledging how God has anointed you will help you increase in the gifting God has given you. Once again, remember, put all of these in the notes in the YouVersion Bible app. You can also find them on the Faith Plus app. If God can use Daniel to make a difference in Babylon, and if we did, we'll cover that in this study. If God can use Daniel to make a difference in Babylon, God can use you to make a difference where you live. You must take a stand like Daniel and you must believe for the supernatural assistance of God. This is the supernatural lifestyle of faith. Praise God. Glory to his name. Now, I've included in the notes tonight the link to the devotion I want you guys to read with me over the next few days as we continue to dive deeper into the study. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are good. We know your mercy endures forever. 
we've seen in this study, as we saw in the last study, the consequences of sinful lifestyle. A sinful lifestyle that brings the curse. Although your will for us is the blessing. We understand what's in the Old Covenant. And we understand what's in the New Covenant. And we see even in the Old Covenant how you used Daniel to make a difference in Babylon. How you anointed Daniel. How you gave him and his friends favor. How you gave them supernatural gifting and understanding. Father, I know you can do that and more for us under the new covenant who've been washed in the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost. So we ask for an increase in supernatural assistance and understanding and aptitude and skill for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened, for us to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and all creativity and understanding. Father, for your favor to surround us as a shield so that we can increase in the things you've called us to do so that we can do what Jesus commanded us to do to be the light and to occupy until he comes back. Father, thank you for what you share with us tonight and for our takeaways and applications. Help these things echo through our minds tonight and in the days to come as we dive into this study. Help us not just to be hearers of this word, but to be doers of this word. So we bless in our doing. In Jesus' name, amen and so be it. Praise God. Amen. I believe today's message can encourage you, it's strengthening you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.